And we pray those things in your good name, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing through our series on the core values of the church. And, and we've said that these are ones that we hold here at Trinity, but I, I do believe that, that many of them you could pick up and plant in any other Bible teaching church and they would, they would fit there as well. And so we've tried to highlight some of the things that, that we want to use as sort of our our, our guideposts, our guardrails of how we make decisions and that sort of thing. And, and that's why we're walking through this series. We wanted to start this year this way to sort of remind us of these things, of why do we gather? What are we doing here? Why do we, why do we meet? And, and what's it all about? I don't know about you, but over the last number of months with so much uncertainty and transition and, and moving goalposts and targets, we've been adapting for so long that it's been uh, in many ways, a distraction and, and drawn us away from our first love, I think. And so we want to get back to the basics, to remind ourselves of the reasons of why we do what we do. Now, on our website, you can find our core values and our, our mission and vision statements, and these are the guiding principles we use to decide what we do and to uh, seek the Lord and say, okay, Jesus, here's what we think you've called us to do. Here's how we, we think we're going. Would you continue to speak to us? And so of these core values, we have 10 listed on our website, and I'll invite you to head there, trinitycanmore.com. Under the About Us section, there's a little drop-down menu that will take to mission, vision, and values. But for the sake of this series, we've kind of condensed them into six because there is a fair bit of overlap between uh, each one of them. And so we're just going to hit these six as, as we begin the year. But we did start a couple of weeks ago with our first one, that Jesus matters. He is the center of all that we do. This is his church. He is our lead pastor, and we all submit to and follow his leadership, his teaching, his example, and his life. It's his work on the cross and his resurrection that brings us life, and he is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. Next, we said that God's word matters. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us. It's breathed out by him. And it's in the Bible that we see God revealing himself to us. The two Testaments describe all the promises of God to his people in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled those promises <clears throat> and how we now live in light of those things in the New Testament. Again, we've said there's, there's that one common thread that goes through the library that the Bible is, and it's Jesus. The Old Testament points to him, he comes, and the New Testament looks back at what that means. Then last week, we talked about the gathering, which is a little bit odd. We don't usually talk about what we're doing in the moment. Sometimes it's, here's what we can do, now let's go do it. But we talked about the gathering, and we said that Sundays matter because the gathering matters. And there's a real sense in which the church cannot fully function until it gathers. And we'll actually talk a little bit more about that this morning as well. We said that we need to get together. We need to be together on Sundays or whenever we gather. We need to gather to remind ourselves of the gospel story, to remind ourselves that we were all created in the image of God. And that's where we find our meaning and our identity and our value and our mission and our purpose. We need to remind each other every single week of the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. We need to remind each other and remember that the Holy Spirit is at work in us now and through us as well. And we do this by gathering and dedicating ourselves to the Bible's teaching, by dedicating ourselves to deep interpersonal connection, to fellowship is the word that we found in Acts there, to, to breaking bread together. And that means 
sharing meals together after, after church. That means communion, of course. That can even mean coffee and hot chocolate up at the Nordic Center around the skating rink and devoting ourselves to prayer. This week, we want to talk about ownership. We say that ownership matters because we want to be contributors, not consumers. Contributors, not consumers. Now, one of the amazing things about living in the country we do and even the part of the world that we do is the freedom, the amount of freedoms that we have. And really, that's been one of the the key issues. Forget COVID, but that's been one of the key issues in our sort of region for for years, I think. Every every newscast in our our politics and in in all the things, we're seeing issues raised up and they're presented to us as freedom issues, right? We should be able to do this. We should be able to, to do that. And again, that's to say nothing of the last two years or so. And I don't want to get into the, the negative side of these freedoms this morning because there is one. But instead, let's say that we as a society have an unprecedented level of freedom in our lives. Think about our ability to move to pack up and and move across the country for a job or an opportunity or even to hope that there's a job or opportunity when we land where we do. Think about our ability to choose schools, careers, uh, relationships, all these things. We don't need to go too far back in history to find a time where your career was basically decided by what your parents did, uh, where you lived was pretty much decided by where you were born, and it may have been an anomaly just to move a few miles down the road. I think of my my grandma uh, in Camrose and the house that she raised her family in some, my mom's watching, so I won't say how long ago that was, but that's a little while ago. She's still living within about 10 miles of that, and she's just moved to the city because she, you know, the level of care needed to go up sort of thing. Not very far away at all. Before Naomi and I had kids, uh, we went on an educational tour to China. There was a bunch of teachers that were going, and my mom was going. She said, hey, who wants to go to China? And we said, well, sounds great. Let's go. So we were able to get some time off from, from work, and we hopped on this tour, and we saw some of the great sites, the, the historic, you know, thousand-year-old things there. But because we had gone with this group of teachers, they also got us into a school for an afternoon, which was, I mean, I'm not a teacher, but it was still really interesting. And one of the things we learned uh, there was uh, – By a certain age, and it was young, like elementary school or so, I think it was about grade six, I could be wrong, but the students there, they wrote an exam, and what they achieved on that exam basically defined the rest of their lives. It was based on that grade that they got into what level of school for junior high or whatever they call it, which then defined what level of high school, which defined if they were able to go to a university and what sort of career they could get. So it was like it was set at a young age. But again, think about, think about the, Bo- the Bow Valley, and it's a great example of absolutely the opposite of that, isn't it? People come from all over the world to, to build a life here or try to build a life here. Many in fields that didn't even exist 20 years ago. Who would heard of an Instagram influencer 20 years ago, right? Nobody. It didn't even exist. As we raise our kids, we tell them, hey, if you work hard, you can be whatever you want. And maybe you've heard the phrase, I'm sure you have, aim for the moon. Because even if you miss, you'll wind up among the stars, right? We have an unprecedented amount of freedom here. And so for us in the West today, we've, we've built this understanding into our culture that I can do whatever I want. I can achieve whatever I want. And we, 
I mean, we see it with entrepreneur after entrepreneur, right? So many successful entrepreneurs here. I'll do whatever it takes for me to discover myself. And we are generally really proud of our independence and our autonomy and our self-sufficiency. And many of us live in this place of I'll do what's right for me and maybe mine as well. I was reading this week and I came across this quote. It says, we have this spirit of independence. I'll do what I want to do in us. It's there. But you know, we're actually really predictable in this. We think our independence-driven mindset actually leads us to believe that we're more rare and more unpredictable than we think. And we think that we're unpredictable because we're independent. But if you can be marketed to, you're not so unpredictable. I had to laugh at that. If you can be marketed to, and we can all be marketed to, you're not actually that unpredictable. The writer gave the example of Burger King, and I know we don't have a Burger King here in, Can in Canmore, but Burger King, what's the slogan for them and for their Whopper? Who knows it? Have it your way. Darn right I'm going to go to Burger King, and I'm going to get it my way. I want my burger this way. They got me. I'm not actually that independent. I'm sure you can think of dozens of other slogans that appeal to our independence or our self-sufficiency, right? Nike, just do it. Pepsi, I, I Googled this one. This is one of their latest. That's what I like, right? The North Face, never stop exploring. Apple, think different. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Ah, you're right, I am worth it. But listen, even though we have this cultural identity of independence drilled into us, we actually have a deep desire to connect with one another as well. We want to be known. And really, that's why social media was even started. It was started in it, and in its sort of best forms so that we could find connection. We were just talking with our, our international student uh, yesterday, I think, as she's getting ready to head home, and she said, you know what, it, it's actually not going to be that bad. I, I've built some deep relationships, but we can talk every day. Like, we've got Instagram, we've got Snapchat, we've got, we can Skype. She, I mean, she's, we're connected, and we long and desire that. We want deep friendships. We want deep community. We want deep relationships. The thing is that we have this desire for deep community, but we're almost never willing to make the sacrifice to get it. Do you know what you have to sacrifice in order to be in a deep relationship with someone? Your independence. You've got to sacrifice that autonomy. You have to give that up in order to go deep with others. You can't always have it your way to build a community. You can't just do what's best for you. It requires so much more than that. I can't remember if we heard it in like a, a premarital counseling or somewhere along there, but someone said, and I have joked in time since, that if you want to find out just how selfish you are, get married. Now, that's not an encouragement to get married to find that out, but that's, you, you will find out how selfish you are when you get married. I shouldn't tell too many stories out of school, but one of the hardest things for us was we had different schedules, right? I slept in longer and stayed up later, and, and vice versa. What do you mean we're going to bed? What do you mean we're getting up, right? Like, you find this out. And then once you figure that out with your spouse, if you want to be reminded of just how selfish you are, have a kid. 
because they're so conducive to your schedule and your lifestyle and all these things, right? Babies just love to do whatever you want. We know that's definitely not true. In order to have deep relationships, you need to sacrifice that independence, that self-sufficiency, that autonomy to go deep with others. We're going to jump into a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll start at verse 12 as well. And we'll see that the Apostle Paul is going to address the Corinthian church uh, and their life together as community. And he's going to challenge them to kind of look around and ask themselves whether or not they reflect the nature of the gospel in this passage. He's going to challenge them to, to consider their own ownership in the body of Christ, in the church. So watch for that as I read in just a minute. But what is ownership? How do we define ownership before we get into those verses? Well, let me uh, put this in front of you and see what you think. Uh, ownership is a stake in how your community performs and functions. To take ownership is to, to have a stake in how that community performs and functions. It means that we actively participate in that community and we help facilitate growth in that community by taking a place, taking a role. So what then do we do when our personal and cultural ideals of individualism and independence clash with ownership in the church, looking for the, the, the betterment of others? How do we deal with that? Well, just like any other relationship, it's only when we can lay aside our own personal desires for independence and, and our likes and, you know, I want the chairs this way and I don't, I don't want chairs, I want pews. I like this paint color, I like this carpet, I like this music, whatever else. We, we put those things aside for the betterment of everyone else, the flourishing of everyone else. And when we do that, when we start to set aside our own desire for independence, that's when we can start to first own our identity as children of God and then recognize that, wait, I'm not just an only child of God, but I'm a part of this family where there are a bunch of other children of God too. We're part of the family of God. So Paul's going to give us three traits in these verses that will help us discover why ownership matters in the church and why we should be contributors, not consumers. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to start reading at verse 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all given one spirit to drink. What he's saying here is that the church is not just a collection of individuals, but it is literally one body. That means even here in the room today, we're not just a collection of a handful of people taking in a service, but we are connected to one another as one body. Well, how do we know that for sure? Well, the word church in the original Greek translates to the word ekklesia. And that word ekklesia means the gathering or the assembly. So again, as we talked about last week, Church, ecclesia, by its very nature, is an assembled body. It's not an event that we come to, but it's an assembled body. And so the first thing Paul teaches is that the church is interdependent over individual. It's interdependent over individual. That means that we rely on one another. We need one another. We are all part of one body, one family 
And whether we're injured or broken or lost or whether we're exceeding expectations at our job, work, family, whatever, or not exceeding expectations in any of those areas, we are part of the same body. An analogy that will maybe help. Have you ever stubbed your pinky toe? Like, really stubbed your pinky toe? It's that silly little toe at the end of the foot that is just supposed to be there to go wee, 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 wee all the way home, right? But when you hurt that toe, man, it affects everything, doesn't it? And if it's in pain for a while, like if you broke it or really sprained it or something, the rest of your body gets thrown off. We start to favor that toe, so we start to maybe step on the foot a little bit different, which then maybe throws our knee out a little bit, which then throws out our hip a little bit, which then might throw the back off a little bit as we're still trying to favor this silly little toe. And when the back's out, everything's out, right? In a similar way, the same thing is true of the church. We all react to one another's strengths and weaknesses. When we have successes, we celebrate together. Of course, we have to make those successes known so that we can celebrate together. And when we have losses, we grieve together. You just don't know how important that pinky toe is until it's hurt. It's kind of the same in the church. When someone's hurting or someone's missing, we all feel it. And we need to go after that person and call them back. And let me just, uh, on a bit of a personal note, let me, let me ask for your forgiveness and your forgiveness for when I've dropped the ball on this, when, when I've seen somebody's missed a, a couple weeks or something, maybe something's going on and I haven't gone after. Here's the thing. God has uniquely brought you into the church family to give something specific. Everybody. Now you might say to yourself, I don't want to speak in front of people. I'm not a musician. Looking at Thomas's tech setup back there gives me nightmares. Him too. Excellent. That's really encouraging. <laughs> but you know what it could be? You know, you know what you could be called here to do? Hold the door open for someone. Greet people with a smile. Uh, pray with someone. Help out with the kids during a service. Host people during the week for a small group. Let somebody else lead the thing and speak, but just open up your home maybe. Come shovel snow. There, there are a number of things, but if you're not here, we all miss it. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So what is a member exactly? Now when you, when you hear that word, I'm sure some things come to mind. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a club you're a part of. I've you know, been up Skiing a little bit, there's the Nordic Ski Club. There's Jackrabbit Ski Club. Maybe it's the golf club. Maybe it's your, uh, your Air Miles loyalty membership or your hotel loyalty membership. Maybe it's one of my personal favorites, your Costco membership. Right? But here's, that's not what Paul's talking about. Here's what Paul's talking about. A member is a body part or an organ or an integral part of a body that has a distinct function. When we talk about membership, it's, it's, it's about being a part of something an integral part, having a distinct function. Some suggest that our concept of membership that we've now applied to the golf club, to the Costco, to the hotel chains, actually starts right here in this passage. That it, it's taken from here and then it's morphed and changed. But membership is actually a part of the framework and fabric of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. 
But what's interesting is that so often when you and I think about being a member of a church, the first thing that comes to mind is often more Costco than body. Isn't it? Maybe it's just me. So we think, okay, if I sign up to be a member, does that mean I get the good parking spots out here? If I sign up to a member, do I, I get that rebate check just like Costco sends every year, right? Sometimes we equate membership more like that than being a part of a body, an integral part of a body. Being a part of a church, being a member of a church does not mean you get special rights or privileges or rewards, but it's about being an integral part and having a distinct function within that body. Membership is not what the church can offer you, but it's about what you can offer the church. So we need you here. We're thankful that you attend. We're thankful that you join online, catch up on a podcast later, but we love it when you come here and participate because you're needed here and we are dependent on you. We are interdependent, not individuals. Paul continues in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the Bible. Uh, to the Bible. I'm going to try that one again. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, uh, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, body, is it not for that reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an ear, where would, were an eye, excuse me, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now, Paul probably knows some of the conversations that are going on in this Corinthian church. And in every church since then and now, too, we're still having these same conversations, aren't we? He's probably aware that there are people that think for whatever reason, whether it's their gifting, their schedule, their background, their history, whatever, they think that they don't have the ability to play a role in the body of Christ. Now, maybe you've heard someone say, or maybe you've said yourself, I can't do that. I can't be a part of this thing because I've gone too far. I've messed up too big. I've got too much sin in my life. I just can't. Can I be a little bit blunt here? And I'm giving myself permission, even though I asked you, giving myself permission to be blunt because I need to hear these words myself often. When we say that, I'm too far gone, my sin's too big, whatever else, those words are a lie from our enemy. They are not truth. Those thoughts are actually anti-gospel because when I say my sin is too big, we're saying Jesus' death wasn't enough. When I'm saying I, I'm, I'm too far gone, nothing can rescue me, nothing can save me, we're saying Jesus on the cross conquering death was not big enough for little old me. Let me tell you, Jesus is enough. When we tell ourselves the lie that I'm too messed up, I'm too far gone, I've sinned too big, whatever, we are actually cheating the church out of our gifts. Now let me say, your life is messy, my life is messy, for sure. I still need the Holy Spirit working in me every single day, weeding some things out, pointing some things out, drawing me more towards Jesus. I need to keep following Jesus so that I look more and more like him every day. But even while that's going on, the church needs you. So what this text is saying is that everybody counts because we're all distinct and we're all uniquely created to reflect the image of God to the world, which leads to the second point that everyone in the church is essential 
over insignificant. Everyone is essential over insignificant. Now think about this. There are two core needs that every person has. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what time you lived. Every single one of us has these two core needs, and that is to matter and to belong. And we've seen in, in studies of children, the ones that are, are warmly raised by parents, the ones that, that know that, that mom and dad are there, they grow up and they flourish. The ones that are neglected, they, they, they wither, and many pass away. But think about how much time and energy that every one of us, too, puts into those two things. Trying to find where we matter and where we belong. Now, as kids, we'll often do whatever it takes to remind ourselves that we matter, that we belong. Multiple times a day, I've got one of my kids that needs snuggles, that needs to be reminded that she is loved, without mentioning any names, and she just comes and she crawls into my lap. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if I've got, like, we're still working on if I've got, like, a spoonful of food on the way to the mouth. That's not a good time to crawl into daddy's lap. It doesn't matter if she's going to fit on my lap in that moment. She's going for it when she wants it. Now, as we get a little older, as we get some age and experience, we don't maybe do that anymore. I don't go sit on mom's lap very often. But sometimes we, we, we actually learn in a negative sense to suppress those needs and kind of bind them and, and squish them down so much. But they're still there. And so it might look like for me to try to find a place to matter and belong, it might be chasing the perfect relationship that will bring all my meaning and belonging. It might look like uh, aiming for the perfect spouse, the perfect grades, the perfect job, the perfect place to live, whatever, the perfect club for people who make uh, mattering and belonging the main thing. But the problem is, apart from God and apart from the church, there's always going to be pressure for me to make myself matter. And it's going to be the same for you. But the gospel says, and the church believes and declares that you already matter. It's got nothing to do with what you're going to do. We even started the service with it, right? You are valued because you are created in the image of God. And yes, that image is tarnished by sin, and we need Jesus' work to, to, to deal with that. But our mattering and our belonging, those two core needs, come from being created in God's image and belonging to his family, the church. You matter here. You belong here. And there is a unique calling for you. And you absolutely are needed to fill that role. And, and part of the church's job is to help you find where you fit, where, where you're needed so that you can actually fulfill the purpose and meaning that God has, has called you to and given you instead of sending you somewhere else to look for it. Verse 18, Paul continues and says, But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Who arranges this? God does. Who chooses our role? Who has given us these gifts? God's done it. God has given every single one of us gifts meant to be used to build up his church. Now, definitely, they will take time to refine like muscles that need to be trained, but God has given you something to bring to the table, something that can be used to minister to others around you and to build up the church. 
But here's a problem with the time that we're living in, and it gets me every single week. We live in a social media age that shows us people from other places doing awesome stuff all the time, right? We see the best in everyone else. And right away, we think, we compare ourselves and think, man, I wish I could do that, be there, have this, whatever else it might look like, right? This comparison trap is a big one. Every week, I could go on social media, and unfortunately, often do, and I could say, man, I wish I could take pictures like this photographer. I wish I could speak like this preacher. I wish I could lead like this leader. I wish I could parent like this parent. I wish I could have the marriage that these people have. And it's exhausting to try to chase all those things. But the problem with comparison is that it produces sameness. Comparison produces sameness, but God's created us for uniqueness. If I pick a preacher and think, okay, I think I like him, I like the way he teaches, I like the way he whatever, and I just watch him, watch him, study him, study him, it's not long before my mannerisms start to look a lot like his. The way I, some of the phrases I use are probably going to look like that person. The way I move my hands will start to look like theirs. It's creating sameness, not uniqueness. But every single one of us has a unique, complementary, essential role to play. And we're not all the same. If the whole body were eyes, where would the sense of hearing be? So what's your sense of gifting? Have you, have you thought about that lately? Where can I most serve the church? How can I contribute to the, the bigger vision of what God's trying to do, of making disciples of Jesus Christ here in the Bow Valley? What, what do you want to grow in? What, what muscles do you need to train to, to get there? How can we help? Who can you ask to shadow, to learn, and grow in that area? These are some things we need to wrestle with. Verse 21, Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Ah, we're back to the pinky toe. There's me, the weaker. Listen, on those days where you don't feel like you have much to offer, when your gifts just aren't enough, or when you've fumbled those gifts and it feels like you fumbled them too many times, you're actually kind of in a really good spot because at that point, you need Jesus. Now, I can look around the room and I can look at the list online and say, man, there's a lot of talented people here. And there's a lot of things that we can do under our own strength. But when Jesus steps in, when the Holy Spirit works through us, that's when we can really shine. And that's why Paul will elsewhere tell us that he, he boasts in his weakness. Because when he's weak, when he's getting out of his own way, that's when the Holy Spirit can do something amazing. And Jesus can be shown to be strong. Listen, I never dreamed of doing this. This standing in front of people every week and, and teaching or preaching or bringing a message was never on the radar for me growing up. I clearly remember as a kid being terrified in front of people and trying to use and think up any number of excuses I could to get out of piano recitals because I did not want to be in front of people. Even when I first started in ministry, I knew God was calling me to, to love the church and serve the church. It was with youth that I wouldn't have to be up front on Sundays. But God had other plans. And he's got plans for you too. The, the church needs you. 
You are essential to the flourishing of God's church, and every one of us is created for participation. Look at verse 24. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now you are the body of Christ. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Now y'all are the body of Christ and individual members of that body. See, we need one another. We need one another to engage over attend. We need one another to, to participate over spectating. We need one another to contribute over just consuming. When we gather, the intention of this Sunday morning was not for you to come and watch me and Steve and Deb and the tech team would, would get it sorted at the back and Travis would help out too, but it is a gathering of family to worship together. Let me just throw this out. This whole morning isn't about me launching into a 2022 volunteer drive for Trinity. There is not going to be a sheet pasted on the door at the back that you cannot leave until you've signed up for at least three empty spots. But it is about reminding one another that we need spaces to flourish and places to find our meaning and purpose in Jesus. And of course, as always, Jesus is our great example here too. He's the one we're following. When he came, he didn't just come down from heaven, have a look around, see what was going well, see what was going poorly, and just head back. He came to engage with the world. Look at Mark 10, 45. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, to just you know, sit and take in a service, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And because Jesus came, because he engaged, because of his work on the cross, we are adopted into the family, the community of God. We get more known. We are more loved. We are given a purpose with passion to live for. We are given a mission, and we are saved from our sin and given salvation. So, what are we going to do? Let me give you just a couple of things to consider, and we'll leave it there. If there's been something sort of nagging in your mind, like, I, I need to be doing this, I think. Tell somebody. Talk with someone. Let's step into that. One of the, I said in the first service, I'll say it again, one of the um, key signs that maybe there's something you're supposed to step into is when you feel like you need to come and have a chat with a pastor or an elder and say, somebody should be doing this. Great. Somebody should. How do we get through there? So if there's something that's been kind of nagging, that's, you know, maybe I, I should do this. I don't, know, I don't know if I can do it. I might need some help. I might need some coaching, some mentoring. Great. Love it. Let's chat. The second thing, pray about it. Sometimes it's really hard to see in ourselves what God has created us to do. We need people around us. We need to be a part of a family that can, can look at us and say, I see this in you. And so we need to ask God to, to, to show us how he's created us, what he's wired us to do, to call us into something bigger than ourselves, or ask him to have someone else come and speak that into your life. I would have, would have never, um, in, in our first church, 
we were just attending and a part of and grew up in, I would have never got up front with, with a guitar if someone hadn't said, Sean, this Sunday, you're up front with a guitar. Never, not a chance. I would have never preached a sermon if someone didn't say, it's a long weekend, you're the youth pastor, so you're going to preach this Sunday. I'd say that mostly joking. Somebody's got to speak that into me because I often can't see it. I get bogged down in the details of, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. We need to call that out in one another. So that's, that's the third thing. If you see someone with the gift, or, or with the potential maybe, call it out. Hey, I, I think I see this in you. What, what do you think about trying this? What do you think about coming alongside with me and we can work through some of these things together? Let me close with this from a, a pastor friend that I was reading this week. He said, we are all the church. And the church is fundamentally a set of sinful, imperfect people who are saved by the grace of God. And we get to link arms with one another on the path and venture not to where we are, but we venture together to where Jesus is. And that's the point. That's the biggest purpose of it all. He says, even if we linked arms and used as much elbow grease as we could to wander as far up that path towards Jesus as we, we could together, guess what? We're not going to make it. So Jesus, being who Jesus is, wanders towards us, meets us where we are, he anoints us with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then walks with us to where we need to go. And as the church, we get to recognize the beautiful wonders and power of the Holy Spirit along that journey together. We are interdependent, not individuals. We are essential, not insignificant. And we engage, not just attend. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that uh, even when I give up on myself, you have not given up on me. Even when we have, have, have said things to ourselves that are not true, you would not say those things to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that even in this moment that you would be stirring in our hearts and stirring in our minds, reminding us of the unique gifts and talents and skills and abilities you have given every single one of us. And if we're not so sure about it, give us the courage to ask, hey, what do you see in me? I mean, that's, that's part of being in the family. What do you see? I pray that one thing that we would be known for here at Trinity is that ownership matters, that we are contributors, not consumers, that Sunday mornings are not just another uh, piece of content we consume, like a Netflix series or a sports event or whatever else. But we gather together as the family of God, as children of God, to glorify you. May you continue to work in us and through us in all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys come?